The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Podcast One presents Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze, an entertaining behind-the-scenes look at the world of food, where you'll hear from anyone and everyone from the culinary industry, including restaurateurs, TV hosts, celebrity chefs, producers of your favorite cooking shows, and many more. Now, here's your host, Richard Blaze. Hey everyone, welcome to Starving for Attention. I'm Richard Blaze. Jasmine Blaze is here. This Hi. is the second part of our recent run of Atlanta podcasts. That's right. Last week was Kevin Gillespie. That was a lot of fun. I like right? when we do geographical I do clumps. Too. Wait, it's you fun. do? I yeah. do kind of like it. We did that Chicago clump. Right? Was it Chicago? No, we've done, yeah, it? well, we've, we have done a few in oh, Chicago, though. Oh, the Aspen. And, then, yeah, and we've I done a know. bunch of Aspens. Yeah. And, like, we do, like and we've done a couple in New York. And yeah. then, of course, like since we're um, more located in Southern California, a number of sort of LA-themed episodes back-to-back-to-back. But this one continues our little run of Atlanta chefs. And last week was a a chef that everyone knows, Kevin Gillespie from Top Chef fame. Uh, And this week is Todd Ginsberg. And you might be like, what? Who? I don't know who that guy is, (laughs) even though he has competed on Guy's Grocery Games and he has done some food TV. Um, You had mentioned last week in the Open, Todd Ginsberg is sort of like a local legend for sure. Fan favorite, Fan favorite. Um, his work. I mean, we we used to go to a, a lot of his restaurants. His burger is legendary, yep. um, and he's one of these chefs that I, I I really think we should do more episodes like this because if you don't know who he is, go do the research and right. find out who he is because his food's amazing, his pedigree is extreme, uh, and his yeah, as a restaurateur now, his concepts are are popping off all over the place and yeah. s- soon to be in a city near you. Uh, I would think. Uh, pretty amazing. He also, this podcast was recorded in his home. That was so nice of him. Incredibly sweet. No one ever invites us to their home. Well, except Carl well, Hall. That's, that's a, true. That's a pretty good club to I, be in. I think I mentioned yeah. that in the open with him yeah. is that like the only two people that have brought us over are Carla Hall and, and, and Todd. And it was kind of fun being in Todd's house. He's got a very like, um, you know, I mean, Carla Hall was amazing too, but like in New York City is more like I was winded just climbing to the, you know, penthouse loft where Carla Hall lives. Yeah. Uh, but like his house was like, it made me think of like, you know, if you weren't around, what <laughs> what I might have Why? like in the kitchen. Because he's got oh. all of these curated sort of hipster things outside of like the normal right. stuff like a dude might have. Like, oh, I've got a vinyl record player with right. like some awesome yeah. amps. Yep. Pardon my lack of knowledge when I'm talking about stereo yeah. systems. Totally. Um, but then in the kitchen, he's got like a duck press, right? right. So he's like, look at what I got here. A gold duck press that, you know, someone got from uh, a, a restaurant in Paris somewhere right. or whatever it is. And... Uh, Although we have a uh, a book, um, what would you call it? A book weight over there? That's an old school meat grinder. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying That's is there'd be got. a lot more old school meat grinders and grills in this house. You're lying. It'd be all sneakers and hats. Come on. Uh, you always call me out for that. There would be. <laughs> Do you know it's there true? would be lots of sneakers and hats and old school like yeah. cooking stuff as well. But really nice of him to invite me inside of the house. And he was also one of these people. I love like. I feel like it's fifty percent, but like if you're going to someone's restaurant or so, he's like, he texted me right before as I was on my way there. By the way, on my way to Todd's house, like coming from sort of the podcast with Kevin Gillespie and yeah. navigating the roads of the Atlanta of for Atlanta. the first time in a really long time yeah. in a rental car that was basically a lawnmower with a football helmet. You requested that rental. No, you asked me, do I, I medium know. or? I said, or, well, you know, because if it was me going into my old hometown, yeah. like I would have taken the luxury ride. Uh, I offered no. you a luxury ride. Yeah, I know. The but price like, was like. 
almost similar. I mean, it was kind of crazy the difference in price. Usually, rental cars like the price is astronomical for like a nicer car, and you know you can yeah. get like a crummy car for cheap. But the prices were so similar. That's why I offered it up to you. But you chose the the crapper, I believe, is what I, I labeled it. <laughs> I think you did it. call it a crapper. Yeah. And I'm not going to name the brand I of the car. I would have like rolled in there with like a nice, you know. You know what? I, know. I think it's important uh, for me, as if you, if you probably have touched upon it once or twice uh, in, in past episodes. Uh, but like, hey, one day we're staying at the, you know, the Ritz-Carlton and one day we're staying at the Holiday Inn Express. And like, you know what? Those hard-boiled eggs are good. Yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> at the Holiday yeah. Express. Um, like one day we're in the uh, economy uh, rental car, and one day we're getting you know car service we, to like a red carpet event. So uh, I think it's important also to stay in, to stay to stay as grounded as uh, as I can be for sure. Uh, but Todd Gidsberg, lots of fun. Yeah, really, he's one of these chefs, and I think he's, right he's, off the bat, I mean, he's a restaurant tour at this point. Yeah, well, right? I mentioned I mean, that, and I, even with Kevin, I think we got we got into that right where yeah. it's like, and I just felt like recently, I mean, within. In the last couple of months that like I'm finally a restaurateur yeah. like there's something about it that's like official and I don't know I don't even remember for me Feel what like it was something within your own self that changed yeah but I remember both Kevin and Todd had the same sort of reaction where they're like uh yeah I guess I guess I'm a restaurateur yeah like right. because th- there's a part of that whereas chefs I think that it bothers us yeah, well, to lose that, you don't want to lose the title of chef, right? And there's that, and then there's also like I think we all have like a vision of like in our in our in our own personal experiences, and <laughs> yes. it's probably all different. What a restaurateur is, sure. So like for me, Drew Nearporent who mm-hmm. rang me up uh, to ask me something a couple weeks ago, actually. And, mm-hmm. like, I, and like even that, like I answered my phone on the first ring. I never answer my phone Ever. because yeah. it came up Drew Nearport. Like, right. oh my God, what does he want? Like yeah. that to me is like a, a restaurateur. Like he's wearing right. suits. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's, t- he's taking meetings. He's tasting yeah. food. Uh, so you don't, even though there are plenty of chefs who are also restaurateurs, yeah. I think there is that part of it. It's also like, does it make you old? And it doesn't. Like right. David Chang's an amazing restaurateur, yeah. right? I don't even I don't think of David Chang as being old. Certainly in spirit, Seasoned. we're all we're all young spirited. Yeah. But like, when does that happen? When do you become a restaurateur? I mean, I think once you have like three restaurants that are up and running that are successful. I mean, I feel like. That. But is it that, or is it like? Because again, some of them are you know every business relationship's different, and some of them are licensing deals, and some right. of them are ownership deals, and some of them are you know being a consultant or whatever it is. So like, it is really interesting. As like maybe uh, chime in on the uh, starving for pod that's the number four on the instagram yeah. uh and let us know what is it that really turns you into a restaurateur i found it really intriguing over these last couple episodes that both of these chefs didn't quite you know like they were okay admitting yeah, it hadn't, hadn't embraced it yet maybe. but they hadn't embraced it hmm. and i also mentioned to uh ginsburg that like he's one of those chefs and, and this happens with me a lot because i i really you know as confident as maybe you think that i am or overconfident as you think i am sometimes mm. like i i never have really felt like oh wow i'm just a great chef or i'm a great right. cook and he's one of those people that you're like always eat his food and you're like oh, yeah i'm jealous, jealous of, of like yeah. this burger is so delicious yeah. you know or oh my gosh uh, general muir like that that uh, yeah. that restaurant is just like oh really you just did new york deli food like right. i'm a new yorker like you know, I can't believe you beat me to this concept as it will. So he always has been one of those guys. I'm like, ah, shucks. Yeah. He did it again. <laughs> it's more delicious than anything I could do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so an amazing episode. Second one in Atlanta. Uh, uh, he was also sad that you weren't there. I know. I, I really, I, I need to get back to Atlanta. 
You do. I think that's why also they invited me to our house. Also, really quick shout out to Steve Sidman. Hey, Steve. Uh, who is part of Team Blaze and part of a lot of chefs teams, uh, specifically right. in Atlanta. He is, uh, uh, I mean, he, he represents a lot of people, but he also specializes in sort of a, being a celebrity chef attorney. He, he does. Yeah. It's kind of a little niche he's carved out. It not is a bad niche to have. No. Not, and he didn't. He jumped on at the right time. Honestly, incredibly yeah. smart from an entrepreneurial, savvy, uh, super super for. savvy, uh, and expensive. But wait, did I say that out loud? <laughs> Listen, in food, the source indicates quality. It evokes craftsmanship and traditional old world values. The source reinforces the connection we have to each other and to the world. S. Pellegrino bottled at the source in Bergamo, Italy, since 1899 is a premium mineral water that's naturally filtered by the Italian Alps. During this 30-year underground journey, minerals are absorbed as the water flows through geological formations to its source, creating a unique and refreshing taste. You know, chefs are meticulous about the ingredients we select for our menus. Uh, We insist on knowing where the food comes from, and that also includes water because water is an ingredient. In all of my restaurants, I proudly serve S. Pellegrino, not only because of the taste and how it enhances the flavor of the food I serve, but because of the brand's relentless support of the culinary community, uh, just like it supports starving for attention. As you gather around the table with family and friends, I encourage you to enhance your own meals by choosing S. Pellegrino. To find S. Pellegrino in your area and for some additional culinary inspiration, visit sanpellegrino.com. So thanks again, Steve, for setting us all up. And everyone, without further ado, the Todd Ginsberg episode. Todd Ginsberg, dude, what's going on? Nothing's good. I'm glad to have you back in Atlanta. I know it's uh, it is kind of uh, incredible. You're only the second person on the podcast, and like we've recorded like sixty or seventy episodes at this point that has personally invited me to their home. So I appreciate that. Like there's 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 like oh like wow like I must I feel special being here. There's probably a little bit behind that. I was hoping Jasmine would be here so I can find out (laughs) if you guys are coming back to Atlanta anytime soon. (laughs) I see. I knew it had nothing to do with me. Um, she's man. Sadly, she's not. Did we not? Is that how we got this gig? Like, did you think we were coming, both of us? <laughs> no. Oh my god, that, that would have made sense as to why I got invited. Into no, I just wanted to say hi. And the kids are getting big too, huh? We're we uh, yeah. It, I mean, dominating life and at every turn. And um, yeah, I mean, are we getting old? Is that where? Is that exactly where we're kind of starting this? Or you know, I have a lot of friends in my in the fifties. Yeah. So. Okay. So we are. So, so, the, so the answer is without calling out certain friends. All right, yeah. I was hanging out with uh, Kevin Gillespie this morning, and like obviously we all belong to like now a beard gang, which I never thought that I would be the chef. Like you've kind of always had a beard, almost. I think right? last 12, 12, 13 years. Yeah. Have you have you have you gone clean shaven at all within twelve years no. and grown it back? No, no not once. Yeah, I, I like will get rid of it and then grow it back and then hang out with you or Kevin and like I will leave Atlanta feeling so sad about my beard that I will probably shave it at Hartsfield later today. Just to be clear. Like I can't, I, I can't, it looks good, man. I can't compete. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. It might, might be a little bit long. You've but. also got a nice fillet of hair. So you, you have options. You know what? I feel though that that's kind of the, the, like, you're right. It's like, I feel like the beard looks better for me when my hair is shorter. And if you have like hair that's kind of flowing, which you don't, I mean, up, up on top of your head, you at have least to, for the last 15, 20 years. Right. Um, it, it, it kind of you need that contrast, right? Exactly. Like chefs were always looking for that contrast of like texture or flavor or whatever it is. I've got plenty of texture yeah. on my face. <laughs> you do, uh, dude. I'll get it right off the uh, get it off my chest. You are one of the types of chefs that when I eat your food, I get incredibly jealous of. I probably have said this to you or tweeted at you. I feel like at something or texted you this at some point. You've been very kind over the years. No, no, it's not sure. kind of like, it's like one of those things. It's like, ah, oh, this dude, like he's got the pedigree and his food is just delicious. And you've always just had this like incredible sort of like, 
it's a fluidity, you know, like, you know, when to sort of like, just let it be what it is. Like, it never seems like your food is trying hard, but I, I mean, it's obviously executed really well, but it just seems so natural, dude. Uh, is that just like, is that come, comes from like people in your family who are great cooks or just sh- uh, chef pedigree or, or I think it comes from looking at those around me sometimes and, uh, appreciating what they do. You oh, know, okay. Like Billy Allen has always been like someone I looked up to as far as a cook. Sure, sure. Um, local, here locally, that is. Uh, people from Franny's in New York when Franny's was open. Yeah. You know, I think those kind of people like gave, and this was years ago, gave me that sort of confidence like less is more. Right. Um, you know, I've also worked fine dining. Which, I was going to say, your, your fine dining pedigree is pretty extensive. Yeah. I, you know, I worked for Ducasse in New York. Oh, okay. For, yeah. For a couple yeah, of years. You know, I just worked for this, this, little, little, this little guy. Yeah. That was an experience. Nothing, nothing simple uh, except they do stress that the ingredient is everything. Yes. You know, he, he always was a big proponent of making sure that the ingredient was at least 60% of what was on the plate and 40% was the execution. Right. So you didn't want to do too much. You wanted the ingredient to be the star of the show. It kind of is, let's be honest, now that we're old, as we've we already said that, it is the most important. Like, I mean, it might, I might even argue that it's more than 60% of it. And one of the things that I always, as you know, um, you know my, I have the, if, I, if, if my relationship with Atlanta was social media, it would be it's complicated. And like, that was always one of my challenges with Atlanta. Not just because the market sometimes doesn't allow you to charge what you need to if you're, bringing in certain types of ingredients, right? That's always part of the the scale game. Yeah, you know, and it's not just Atlanta. It's it's any place outside of New York City pretty much or maybe the heart of Chicago or LA maybe. Well, no, I think no matter where you go and you know, obviously you're in LA, so <clears throat> you you know this probably firsthand more than myself, but no matter where you go, people are still conscious of what they're spending. And if they're not at the end of the day, at the end of their meal, they are going to say was that worth $200 or was that worth $100? Does, does that expectation exceed the amount that I spend on it? Yeah, it puts so much pressure. Well, I mean, it does, right? The, the, the more expensive the dishes, it puts more pressure. Yeah, yeah exactly. We just had, I just had Grant Ackett's on and um, that's like... Who? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, Ducasse. Um, <laughs> but that pressure where, where people are, <laughs> you know, the average person is spending... You know, uh, who knows? Like they could be spending like it's it's honeymoon money. It's it's stuff like that. It's like it's once going in a to, lifetime. It's going to Europe and eating a meal in Europe with a, with a bottle of wine and then coming back full round trip tickets, coach that is to have a meal there, right? In their hometown, right? In, in right in their hometown, yeah. exactly. But it's you know what? Uh, I've eaten with Grant uh, and I've eaten with a lot of the people that do charge that kind of those kind of numbers. Chris Costow. I'm not sure, sure I'm saying sure. his name right. Yeah. Probably, you know, both of those guys, top five meals of my life. Right. Uh, Chris, is, Chris is unreal. The, the restaurant meadow would just, <laughs> I mean, I went in there with high expectations, but I was blown away. Did you have the, the, the chicken baked in sourdough or what? Isn't that like one of his sort of signature things? Is it like it a- is. It is. I, I, I didn't have it. And I'm wondering if I didn't have it. He, he did the menu for me, but I'm wondering if I didn't have it because I was dying by myself. Ah. Uh, but you could have taken it down. Let's be honest. I, yeah, I could have taken. I could have taken a whole cow down in that I, meal. I, I'm one of those guys too. Is always kind of like I'm. I'm embarrassed. I still do it even with like simple room service. Is like uh, you know they're always like how many people like I've ordered four or five dishes through like room service at Hilton or whatever. And like how many people? And I'm always like one, two. It's two people. Yeah, you gotta two, go with this. You gotta go with the standard chicken club uh, or the turkey. Club oh, okay, so every time is and that. Then, uh, yeah, even when I'm overseas, like if if I'm if I where was I recently? I was in uh, I was in uh, Oaxaca. 
and they, okay. had, they had a club on the menu along with like you know mole negro and a bunch of other stuff. And I was like, all right, so I'll take a mole negro, chips and salsa, and then a turkey club, please. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just for good measure. Just it is. That, so that's that's sort of your clutch go to. Uh, mine's chicken wings, kind of, but a club is a good idea too. Yeah, chicken. Oh, chicken wings are the chicken wings are one of the chicken wings for me, and this is ridiculous. Or almost like that margarita pizza. Oh, you know, it's like it's it's so basic and fundamental, but it's so complex and hard to execute well that I'm always afraid to order chicken wings at a place I don't know. See, now I was I take the other side of that because like with pizza, you know, sort of the adage like, oh, there's no such thing as bad pizza. There is such thing as bad pizza, but I don't think there's a bad chicken wing. Like I'm fine with like straight out of the freezer and just ultra, you know, Brooklyn fried uh, and just jarred buffalo sauce is or whatever. Brooklyn fried in the oven? Brooklyn fried is just no, um, an extra nine minutes in the, in the fryer. Oh, <laughs> like, right. like extra hard. Like just like, I, like I, it's almost impossible for me not to be happy with chicken wings. I hope you haven't lost all respect for me. No, I, Rich, come on, please. <laughs> We all have our, Crystals is my dirty secret. Oh, there you go. I, when I lived in Atlanta, I had, so now Crystals, uh, for, some, for some of our listeners, is Crystals pretty much a Southern concept? Yeah, and you would find in the Northeast, obviously, White Castle. Right. Okay, so White Castle would be the equivalent, and it's pretty much just like Crystals is red, and White Castle is blue. Yeah, there you go. Right, on the logo, and there's not much difference. I'm a massive White Castle fan. Oh. And like Crystals never did it for me only because like I grew up with White Castle. You're, you're from the Northeast as well, right? I am. Right. I am, but, but I've been here long enough now where I know trained, you've, I'm, you've I'm pretty sauce. happy with a sackful. Yeah, but you can't get fried clams at a Crystal, can you? No, but uh, <laughs> was, that, was that Hojo's for you? No, no, you could get fried clams at White Castle's. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> no, all right. The wings were okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's just something about like instead of fries, getting fried clams as your like crispy side to like a dozen steamed burgers. Oh, that doesn't sound terrible, actually. Now that you see, that. see, there, there you go. But um, I have partaken in, in the crystals as well. What's the sauce for that? Is it ketchup? For the clams? Yeah. No, I think it's tartar. I think they just they straight tartar. tartar. I think they offer tartar. Oh, like okay. don't 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 sleep. Don't yeah. sleep on uh, the White Castles. Yeah. Um, but every uh, so but but crystals they do also like the little the little pups. They do those little dogs. Oh. I have maybe a couple of times also gone through the drive thru at the Buckhead Crystals up here. The one by my house in Grant Park just burnt down about oh. uh, I don't know about three months ago. It's been it's been it's been a, it's been a rough past. So months. sad for the business, of course, and the people who work there. But ultra sad for you because your local Crystals is now sort of. Uh, what is the one thing besides club sandwiches that you're like incredibly snobby about? It's obviously not tiny hamburgers. It's not coffee. <laughs> it's not beer. Right. Um, so you're like, uh, I'm also, uh, uh, this, uh, I, I went through Pond City Market, so this is some bougie coffee, but um, I, I, I have no problem with Starbucks. Yeah. And like, I know that sometimes people can get really like, oh, you drink. There's Starbucks. a reason why Starbucks is Starbucks. I mean, it's a cultural it, thing. It, it's yeah. a cultural, but it also appeals to a lot of people. There's, uh, they, they've done a good, a great job at what they do. Yeah. So, so you've now, uh, I spoke to Kevin about this. You've obviously crossed into the threshold of being a restaurateur then. I guess I have. Yeah. I guess I have. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Is this is this happening live where you're like just realizing this? Like you have no. four or five restaurants, you're building all over the place, you've had nothing but success. I appreciate that. You know, honestly, it hasn't it's not just happening here at the table with you. It's happened over the last year or two. I've hired my first executive chef. Like I always would kind of go into the restaurants as as the chef. Yeah. Uh, and then hire people fr- from the Sioux that I would work with. Right. But we're opening a restaurant in November, December, uh, down the street from Turner Field in my house called Woods Chapel Barbecue. Mm. 
and I've hired uh, my first chef for the restaurant before we opened the restaurant. Right. Uh, his name is Wilson Gorley. He was the chef of Eight Arm for a while. Uh, super guy, and he's with me at the drum you're right now helping out. So um, I think at that point, you're, you might not be a chef anymore. You might be more of a restaurant. Interesting. So for you, it's, it's, it is sort of like um, handing over the title of executive chef. Yeah. And realizing that you have now a different title or a different role. Yeah. I think it's more of a chef partner. Yeah. You know, chef operating partner kind of yeah. thing. No, it's weird. I'm, this is also me just getting like, um, well, I mean, what about also you? advice from you? No, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because, you know, we, I probably have, so we have Juniper and Ivy in San Diego. That's probably like my first place where like there's an executive chef that is doing his thing. And sure, I opened the restaurant and he was a part of that team and there's plenty of amazing people that were there. But it's like, it's his restaurant now, right? And like the apple doesn't fall far. Like we have very similar ideas about food. But it's it's like, I'm okay with like knowing that like, yeah, this is yours. Like, you know, I know that in our seven years of a relationship, he's not going to go too far out of bounds as I might. If anything, he's going to do things better than I would. Um, but it is an interesting moment, right? Where you walk into the restaurant and you're like, oh, I, um, yeah, I'm just going to taste a few things and make sure like, yeah, walk around and say hi to people and shake hands and stuff like that. It's an interesting transition. And, and congratulations on Juniper and Ivy. I've, oh. I've been hearing a ton of things back in really? the last few years about it. Oh, wow. Yeah, so people go out to LA, have it, uh, obviously, because they know of you. Uh, they were fans of yours when you were here. Yes. Uh, and, you know, it's easy for them to check it out. And I've just heard nothing but great things. It is. Uh, it's been. Yeah. And again, it, it goes back to that, that we have some amazing people working there. Anthony Wells, a little shout out to our chef over there. Um, and a lot of it goes back even to the first part of the call, which was just, you know, in I don't want to sound like an elitist Californian at this point, but just like it's just fish literally like the oceans right there and like people are showing up with a whole tuna on the back of the truck and it's just farmers from every which way and so much of it is just also you know besides we have great people that's the ingredients are oh, just like come on it's, 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 a just, sh- it's every just chef's there. dream it, it kind of is it's become a weird thing I mean again as a native New Yorker who lived in Atlanta for a long time and like even the seasons like you, you know you start running into and I remember like some of my East Coast friends I think it was even like Wiley recently um, was like you know what are you strawberries on the menu in January and you're like that's when our strawberry season starts you know does, it's, it, does it ever end I mean they do end. so like they're, each season is each season Why? starts a couple of months <laughs> earlier than you would think and extends a little bit longer than you would think so that there are very small periods where like tomatoes aren't at their best does it ever end not really but there are moments of course where like things aren't at their best because in LA it doesn't really get cool or rainy in the winter right it stays kind of year round 70 I mean, just Southern California in general, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it gets colder than what people think, especially like the San Diego area gets a little bit colder, you know, being right up against the water or the west side of L.A. Um, but you're never really outside of, you know, again, like if you, if you wanted to eat tomatoes all year long, you can. You're just not going to get them maybe, you know, at their best, you know, from a small little farm. But they're coming from California. Long. It's not like South America. We obviously, if we want Roma tomatoes <clears throat> for sandwiches, uh, in December, it's obviously coming from South America or mm. California. Yeah. I mean, we try, uh, you know, we try and keep everything. I like how you turn the tables on me now. You're doing the interview. Uh, <laughs> there's a podcast. Uh, do you have a podcast? Maybe there's a future here <laughs> yeah. for the next concept. Um, yeah, I mean, we try and keep everything as local as we can. We say West Coast, you know, so, um, you know, we have no problem using some fish from the Pacific Northwest or something like that or, you know, into the near Hawaii or stuff like that. But most of it is coming, you know, right from, uh, you know, close, a couple hundred miles, whatever it is, or a hundred miles. And, you know, also for San Diego, you know, Mexico, 
you know, not that we use too many ingredients from Mexico, but like, it's also like I can throw a baseball into Mexico. So like, if you do get an ingredient from Mexico, as long as it was treated correctly and they have different laws and stuff, but you know, is it local? Like, it's, it's an interesting thing about being on a border town is like, it's, Oh, it's, it's, it's another state technically. Right. I mean, it's, right. Like, it's like for us, for North Carolina, if we're using North Carolina product, I'm proud of it. Exactly. I mean, Anson Mills is down the street. Exactly. So like we have a little bit of influence even just, um, you know, stylistically on our menu because we're so close to Mexico. I think that that sort of makes a lot of sense. Um, So this barbecue place, this is not your first dip into the barbecue game. It is. It is. Okay. It is like learning to cook all over again. Okay. It's incredible. Yes. It, it, um, where did it, like, obviously I'm assuming because like all chefs sort of love to eat barbecue. Yeah. Right? Um, but then when you start diving into like these niche sort of, I, I hate to call it niche, but let's, let's say niche for this moment, like you start getting, you're like, oh no, these dudes are like pit masters, whatever you want to call them, these competitive barbecue teams. Like it's like a serious, serious thing. It's, it's a new, it's a, almost a different lifestyle. I mean, it, it, it literally <laughs> right, is like, right. it's, inc- it's been an incredible uh, experience over the last few months, uh, kind of doing a few cooks here and there. I've done some briskets yeah. on an offset, which is, was what we're going to use. Okay. Uh, we just got a BQ smoker, which was what we're going to do for our whole hogs. Got it. So, so how, much, how much R&D was like that, like finding the right equipment, et cetera? Well, I mean, that's, that's calling friends. That's kind of looking on the internet. That's sure. looking on uh, social media. Um, you know, stuff like that. So that's kind of, that's fun. But doing the cooks, you know, and having a bad cook, it's like, oh, this is not just cooking like a roast. This is not just cooking, searing some fish and, you know, having it done in like eight minutes. It's like, there's a lot of expertise, a lot of variables uh, that go into barbecue that um, someone that's been cooking for 20 years has no clue about unless you've been doing barbecue. Yeah, I have been... Even just at home, because like I have the, I have an egg, you know, at home, and I was like, all right, you know, like I have, I come from a similar sort of pedigree to you. Like, well, whatever you throw in front of me, I can make and make sure that it's edible and also hopefully delicious. But like, I, I have been humbled trying to do certain things, uh, even at home in the barbecue world. That I'm just like, oh, it's not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay for it in a barbecue restaurant. Like, yeah, it's tender, it's seasoned well, but it's not barbecue, right? And we have certain expectations of ourselves, right? Right. We know that we like to cook great things and obviously make them delicious. So the first time, the first time I had my partners over, I did a cook, and the, the brisket turned out well. Right. But then, like, my partner brought baked beans, and my other partner brought Brunswick stew, and then I made, um, I made a barbecue sauce, and then what else did I make? I made a few other things that you would find in a barbecue restaurant, and we were so humbled. And at the end of that meal, like, we have a long way to go. And this is like, you know, potato salad, simple, coleslaw, simple. But how do you make it better than you've ever had it before? And how do you do consistently? And how do you do it so it reminds people that this is still potato salad or still coleslaw in a way where that you can try and be the best in your your area? So that's, you know, that's been humbling. Those first, also those first like R&D sessions, was this at at, like a home or was this in one of the restaurants? It was here. Right, right. So I recently just did one of these too and I I had the, I was like, wow, that went a lot different than I thought it would in my mind, right? Because even if it's just, (laughs) even if it's working with recipes, like there's also little things about cooking at home and just that first moment where you're like, your partners are there and like you want to be like, here's five things that are going on the menu tomorrow. And how much, how much of that do you think just is that you have to sort of be up and running to sort of find like the groove sometimes with like a recipe or even just or the execution. You know, like I'm, I'm better with like 
yeah, the restaurant's open. I walk in the walk-in. There's some pickles. Here's some this. There's a it's... reason why we're not pastry chefs. <laughs> right. like, I, I like to think of myself as like, I don't need a recipe. Mm-hmm. You just give me the ingredients. Give, give me a stove. Give me a blender right. and a cutting board, and I'll do it. Um, and like you said, hopefully it'll be delicious. Right. But I don't think it's often about having the recipe. But it's often about knowing the technique. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to roast the chicken correctly or you don't know how to do the fish in eight minutes correctly or you don't know how to smoke a brisket on a smoker correctly right you can have a lot of problems yeah so if you know the technique that's that's you don't need the recipe so with the with the with the barbie gang because i've been dabbling in it like that is a like it is it's a world like you're like oh my god why why did the why did the smokers like what's happening like there was smoke and now it's, there's less smoke and do i fire it up and like i have been clicking on google so much to be like oh no that's called the stall and like there's right. all these barbecue terms for like you know what what is happening during the smoking process and it's a lot more i hate to use the term molecular because um it's yeah, but it's a lot more scientific and sort of like really, really based off of like this specific temperature, that specific time, then, then maybe you and I are, are sometimes used to. It's not, it's not about feel right now. At least, you know, I guess someone like Aaron Franklin or, mm. you know, some of these big guys that do this over and over again, it is about feel for them. It's not scientific anymore. Right. Like they got the science part out of the way. Right. And now it's just kind of like now they let their hands kind of do the, the work for them. Where you and I are still using our brains and still using... Uh, you know, where the stall is at 170 to 175, like then, then you want to rap. If you're going to rap, you know, right. it's, it's, uh, see like even that, then you want to rap. Like you're taught you're inside baseball right now on, in the barbecue world. We got to we bring you back and have a couple of like, uh, old school, like pit masters on an, on an episode. Wouldn't that be incredible? That would be like, like new school, old school. Oh, so know? now is this concept? It is obviously because you're a creative as well. Like that's the other thing about your food is yeah, your food never comes across as just being like, Oh, here's a traditional, like it might, it comes from a traditional place, but there's always some sort of nice little turn. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. Okay. You know, like, uh, we're going to do like a regular coleslaw. Okay. Um, but we're, what we're going to add to it is, uh, a little bit of like old base seasoning. Uh huh. Uh, some like shredded smoked beets and some fresh jalapenos. Mm. So it's, you know, it's got a little kick. It's got a little uh, smokiness to it, but it's still got that mayonnaise base, cider vinegar base, sugar base. And this is uh, uh, raw beets or cooked? Uh, roasted, peeled, and then smoked. Okay. And then, and then shredded. So is this going to be one of those things where you guys have to toss that salad like to order? Or sort of the beat. this is a question. weird thing, the, how the beets bleed into... I like the, I like the bleed. Okay. The bleed's not bad. It, and it's not as pink uh as you would think okay um but the one thing that you know the one thing i don't think you can do coleslaw for more than an hour or two ahead of time because it gets really soggy and i still like that crispness Mm. so it's almost like that 15 you want to stay up ahead like three or four three or four orders ahead of time i think you don't want it to be super fresh but you don't want to be like yesterday's coleslaw Exactly. So, so what? How many hours are you? Are you saying? Oh no! How? Like, I think every thirty minutes, or right. every, every thirty minutes, maybe putting a, a batch together. Got it. Yeah, because there's that there's that zone where it's like a salad, until it like sits for long enough, right? Exactly. Um, I'll have a confession. One of my favorite coleslaws is uh, KFC. Yeah, that that real finely chopped one. Right. It's like just chopped cabbage and super mayonnaise, like and the and the, and it's like a liquid mayonnaise. Yeah. Like, it's almost like you want to drink the last shot of it. Um, yeah. Oh, I've, yeah, that you just remind me of a dish I used to do, um, which was a coleslaw sorbet. You're which, kidding? No, which was actually really delicious. Was we used shred- to serve it on chicken skin as like an amuse. Was it um, shredded cabbage? It was literally that water that's left over uh. from coleslaw that we would then just spin into sorbet. Like you literally, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. It's like an old idea that just came back to life. Don't you? Do you have those? Do you write down all of your stuff? You know, I I don't, and I should. 
Um, but I always think about the stuff that I used to do, and I'm like, it's like looking at pictures of yourself from like 15 years oh. ago. Really, was that me? Oh, you okay. Know? So you never, there's never a dish that you find like that. Like I'm kind of embarrassed that I had coleslaw sorbet on a menu, but I'm not necessarily embarrassed about the idea. So sometimes don't you look at an old picture of yourself and you're like, damn, I was good looking. <laughs> About 20 years ago, not 15. <laughs> right. But I mean, um, so are you, do you used, have a theory? I used to rock a mustache with a, uh, a little chin something or other. Oh, okay. And the barbel. The, the yeah, barbel like a cod, right? Exa- exactly. Okay. The barbel. Yeah. <laughs> and then I used to let my hair get a little too long up top when I was still balding. It just, it wasn't a good look. I had a friend look at an album the other day and she was like, you look much better with a shaved head and a big beard like you do now. Nice. So. It's like a 90s like alt rock band sort of, sort of look. So exactly. you don't go, you don't like looking backwards at all. I do. I, I, I look fondly on the past, but I like looking forward. Um, what about old, like are there any cookbooks from other chefs that like just are incredibly, like you always turn to it and like in a time of need? You know, the one that's been my Bible yeah. uh, since I, I don't use much anymore, like, culinary artistry. Yes. That was my that that literally taught me not the execution of things. I learned that in the kitchens, but it taught me how to pair ingredients with each other. I think it had, doesn't it have like a back like journal section to it or something like that's a throwback Thursday sort of post right there. Yeah, it's an, it was an it's an I mean it's it's completely relevant today as it was thirty years ago when I started reading or twenty years ago when it came out rather um, than it could have been a hundred years ago. It's like everything makes sense about it. It's, it's basically a catalog of ingredients. That let's just say artichoke, mm-hmm. an artichoke would be the main ingredient, and then it would talk about the just the great pairings, and then the classic pairings like butter or hollandaise or garlic or porcini's or olive oil would all be in bold, and then then some other things like um, maybe you know basil or parsley would be not in bold. I'm curious though. I mean, without I mean, I, I had that book too. Where, where did they get the confirmation that those things worked? Because I'm going to tie it to this. I had, and I still have access to it somewhere. It's a computer program. Have you heard of this? It's called the Volatile Compounds in Food Database, which is probably the nerdiest thing I've said in like at least a couple days. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was a molecular, it would break down, have you heard, it's, it breaks down molecular compounds. So you would punch in on the computer program, potato, and it would break in the 19 molecular components of a potato and then find matches to other ingredients. And if you, yeah, it's, it's, it, Heston Blumenthal uses it. And if you, if you use it, like you've, you notice that like, oh, potato and truffle have so many things in common. It's kind of makes sense that they work together or like, and some of his combinations like oyster and passion fruit, which is like a wild one. You notice that they actually share a lot of molecular ties. Well, you, you ever, <laughs> you ever, you ever cooking something or, or just take it from a fruit stand and you smell it and you're like, Oh, you know, it's, um, maybe you're, maybe you're, maybe you're smelling a watermelon and then it smells, uh, like a little citrusy mm-hmm. or some, something's going on and like, Oh, no wonder why it goes great with gramonier or orange zest yeah. or lime juice. Yes. Like, it just, like those, maybe that's why it's the molecular compounds. Is Probably. That, am I saying that correct? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't even know if I'm saying it correct. It's a computer program. You just punch something in. Like I, I'm, I'm sounding a lot smarter than I actually am. It sounds but, incredible. But I think culinary artistry was probably before the internet. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So they just were like, tomatoes, basil. Yeah, we know that works. There's a bunch of recipes. And yeah, and they, would, they would call uh, some of the great chefs back then. Daniel Belouz mentioned mm-hmm. it a ton of times. Thomas Keller. Obviously, the greats of like the 80s and 90s uh, were mentioned in it, in it. And they would they would give them a dish. And they're like... Um, 
that's how they kind of broke a lot of it down. Sure. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it was incredible. It's never a bad place also to just start with like a classic dish. Like, you're like, oh, a uh, caprese salad. Like, if you change basil for one other herb, you're probably still okay as long as it's a sweet herb, right? Right. Or tomatoes um, instead of tomatillos with mozzarella, right? Like, like a tomatillo salsa. Or right. Tar- you change one ingredient for another similar ingredient. Kind of works. Um, you, you had just mentioned like the aroma part of that. Oftentimes with me also, it's just like a visual cue. Like, oh, like using watermelon again as an example. If you look at a watermelon cut in half, oh, it kind of looks like a tuna loin. I bet you these two things together might work. Or, you know, wow, this lard sort of feels like butter. I bet you we can whip it like butter and spread it on toast. Or, um, so I think some of that is just being like a, a curious cook, right? And having yeah, your, your eyes phenomenal. and nose open. And ears and, and fingertips. Yeah. I mean, like, if, you're, if you're not cooking with all your senses... You're doing yourself a disservice. That's what I loved also. I mean, this, this, the episode we just did with Grant where for a restaurant of its sort of status, it doesn't have a lab, right? All, all these like, you know, the world's 50 best seemingly have their own little labs with two or three amazing chefs that are running around fermenting and drying and, you know, doing all of these things. To not have a lab is, you know, his understanding of it is similar to ours. Like, well, you just, it kind of happens during the process. You could lose some of that discovery if you're not like just in it. Kind of amazing, you know. If you're Grant, you're uh, you're a genius, <laughs> right? You know, you are like literally a genius, and no matter what you do, it just it's going to work. You know, I, I I fully believe that, and I, I I I love. I mean, I have nothing but respect for like Renee Rizepi, uh and all those people like Hassan Blumenthal that all have these labs uh, and work off like you know for Ron Adrian, I think was a classic example of sure. working off season and trying to find the things to do. It's a but luxury, any, but it's a luxury. But any yeah. any of these guys can just make it perfect the first time, right? I mean, I think they're just going to be. I, I don't even get it. Like it's, it's unreal what they do. Yeah, it, it's it, unbelievable. I, I have not been. I I need to get over to Noma, <clears throat> especially just because. How do you feel about? Um, I don't. Do you follow Renee? Yeah. Okay, so like, I'm curious how you feel about um, celery root shawarma. It looks incredible. <laughs> when he first posted that, it, was it weeks or months? Like it took him of research to kind of get that, and then it, all the labor that goes into like one spit. Right. I, rem- I remember like seeing a post like months ago. I was like, yeah, we're gonna stack all of these slices or whatever. I think they do it and in. dried yeah. and roasted and like you know, it's just incredible. It's it's incredible. It's also and I and I I say this with utmost respect. It's also hilarious. <laughs> Right. To think about, um, I actually did this on a run where I ran through, I was on a a trail run and I found what was a piece of like a a white carrot or like a parsley root or a parsnip or something on a run that had just been literally baked out in the sun for like, you know, who knows how long. And I brought it back to the restaurant and it was intact and beautiful. And I put it up and I was just like, parsley root dried for three years in the sun kind of as a joke and people were blown away They're like, oh my god how did you do it it's kind of hilarious too do you think that there can be too much like labor and not not in this case with renee or, or the I celery is doing a lot of that kind of ultra dehydrating and just concentrating all those flavors immensely yeah i mean it's it's cool yeah um it's just also you have to have you have to have the time for it and, and the people and, and, and resources and, 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 and and some of it is also, well, you'd have to have the time for it, basically. I'm glad someone's doing it, you know, I, and so we can at least, someone, someone, some of us can at least experience it, uh, to, tr- to try that, that parsley root that's been drying in the sun for how long, and then, <laughs> you know, it's incredible. It I mean, was it's, super linginous, just to bring it, it wasn't good. Uh- <laughs> hey, here are some useful tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage, and you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. Weird, 
right? Well, listen, here's another tip you also might not know about. TrueCar also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid. So they know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with TrueCar certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. The advanced specialists at the Center for Innovative GYN Care developed groundbreaking minimally invasive techniques to treat fibroids, endometriosis, and other GYN conditions. In response to growing concerns over the coronavirus, CIGC now offers e-visits. We know GYN conditions don't stop affecting your life. CIGC wants to be here for you as you seek options to find relief from debilitating gynecologic symptoms such as abnormal bleeding and pelvic pain. With telemedicine options now available, book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. That's InnovativeGYN.com or 888-SURGERY. Hey everyone, listen, thanks for listening. You make this all possible and thank you so much to our sponsors today, San Pellegrino. You've been with us from jump to find S. Pellegrino in your area. Visit SanPellegrino.com and TrueCar. Visit TrueCar for a better car buying experience. You're listening to Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze. All right, listen, we're going to change up the vibe here. We're going to, we're going to get into a, a game, oh, let's do if it. you will. Okay, so this is um, really uh, the game is sort of like America loves, right? We know that America loves a lot of these things. Um, but the game is going to be, what about Todd? Okay. How do you feel about it? All right. right? Because these things are all sort of hot and trendy. Just for the record, I went to see Dave Chappelle and John Stewart the other night. Okay. So I've been watching a lot of Chappelle. So if I get a little too, uh, you know, out of bounds, pull me back. No, uh, we love out of bounds. That's going to make it a really, really great episode. Uh, And I don't think any of these are going to get too crazy. Uh, But we'll start on that sort of like, I'm glad somebody's doing it, which is something that you just said. America loves, at this point, all these alternative proteins, specifically the obsession with insects. What about Todd? Uh, Todd is a <laughs> Todd is a he doesn't like a lot of things that um, would offend people. He is easily offended by things like that. Uh, I did have some crickets in Oaxaca. Okay, uh, actually, uh, a girl I'm dating uh, brought some back. I didn't have no. I did. I actually had it at uh, what's the guy, what's his name in Oaxaca the the Mexican chef that's incredible. Anyways, I ate at his restaurant, uh, Oaxaca, Casa de Oaxaca, I think it is. Okay. And I had his famous dish that had crickets in it. Yeah. And it was delicious. Okay. So and are like, these crisp, these were crispy? Crispy, acidic, um, smoky, just really great. Right. <clears throat> really great with uh, their bodies ground into salt going with mezcal. Like, yes. Everything kind of just works together really well. Okay, so, but what about Todd? You still haven't... Oh, <laughs> that's, Todd like that? Todd doesn't like insects. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I was, uh, just came back from Hawaii, and I was, had my youngest, and we were running. We went out frogging one night, which is like, there's all these, you know, she's a big, like, reptile and amphibian, like, fan of, like, all things wild. And we ran outside into, like, right as it turns dark, looking for, like, giant bullfrogs and, like... And there was this giant centipede that was running around. She's like, I'm gonna grab it! Like, she just loves all things like that. And I was like... Don't grab it. And we're not going to eat it for sure. But like, yeah, I've, I have to deal with creepy crawlies is basically what I'm telling you. But we don't eat most of them. We well, have a pet Madagascar hissing cockroach at the house, um, which is not a, like a cockroach, like a, you know, like a, like, you know, dirty kitchen cockroach. It's like 
you know, one of these big giant. Yeah, lots, lots of lots of. Legs. I don't touch it. I don't touch it. Yeah, it's big. It hisses. And I'll stuff be like in Maui that. in three weeks, so I'll look, I'll look after those centipedes. <laughs> there you go. What about the obsession with smoothies? Smoothies, acai bowls. I know you. I know. I know your listeners can't really view me right now, right? But they would. No, know. you were like really like. I almost. I think I offended you by asking you that. <laughs> <laughs> I had shawarma for breakfast. Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> you got to answer though. So, so I went to Justo when I was in LA. Yeah, and love what they do. Love sure. the grain bowls. Love all that stuff. I would eat it if I could every day. Just. I just don't. Nice. Um, I guess I've become California now. I'm like all about it. And I will say a lot of places on the East Coast, even in like a city as metropolitan as Atlanta or New York, haven't really, they haven't tapped into what like a really good like juice slash smoothie acai place is. We try, we opened a restaurant called The Canteen and right. we did a place called Square Bar. Yeah. We tried to do it. It was, uh, it didn't go over well. Like okay. People would rather have a cup of coffee and a bagel in the morning than have an acai bowl or a smoothie there you or go. juice yeah maybe it's because that's how you also want to eat breakfast okay very, like very, maybe that. <laughs> I was definitely proje- I was pro- definitely projecting um, okay the obsession America loves poke right now yeah what about time I love poke okay I, lo- I love raw fish and I'm going to be eating a ton of it in of a few co- weeks of and, course uh, there's a poke restaurant that just opened up down the street haven't had it yet but love love good raw fish and a salad as a restaurateur though what do you feel about like the poke concepts? Because they're all over the place now. Like, I, has it? I don't know if it's happened in Atlanta, but like, it's you know how everyone went through like the burger phase, and uh, there you know these phases come and go. Right now, certainly in California, it's like poke this, sushi rito that, all over the place. Do I think it has legs? Legs? Yeah. St- nah, I don't know. Uh, Americans do like their burgers and pizza. That's true. That we are, and we I, are gluttons. And, and do you feel, I mean, this is me, and I don't think, I don't know if I'm right, but like, I feel like there's a seasonality associated with just like really great fresh raw like fish. Like summertime. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go in December in a, on a cold day and have a raw fish. Yeah, salad. like you're just not walking through the sh- like Michigan Avenue in Chicago in the dead of the winter and you're like, you know what I really want? Some poke right do now. You, do you crave it? Because um, it's got to be craveable, like. What what do we? Cra- I don't. I do crave it, but it um it goes away, and like it's not something that like like ramen. Like I'm, I think it's the umami sort of like soy. Like I'm a junkie for like those deep sort of salty umami flavors. I could do ramen every single meal, quite honestly. Uh, but the poke is like okay, I've had enough for a couple days, you know. So I don't necessarily crave it. I guess is what I'm saying. Let me say this. I think if America gives it a time. And the people that are eating it today, our age people are younger, 20s and 30s, and they have kids and they start feeding it to their kids, it will have legs in 20 years. There you go. Kids that grew up eating it will keep on, keep on eating it. I just don't think it's something that Americans associate with right now as an everyday sort of or once a week sort of meal. Yeah, but they do eat sushi. But, but sushi was around when we were kids. Right. You know, I wasn't eating sushi per se when I was 10, but right. I started eating when I was 18. And my son's been eating, and he's six. Why do you think that, that I'm getting off track real quick? But why do you think, and maybe you don't have this issue, but I do sometimes in my restaurants, um, that people are okay spending like oh my god, I, you know where I'm going oh, with this? Hell yes, they'll spend money for they'll spend twenty dollars for a roll, yeah, of spicy tuna. Oh yeah, but a crudo dish of the same amount of fish, even more, most likely, they they just oh, I can't believe you're charging thirteen, fourteen bucks for a crudo. Well, let me tell you this. <laughs> I, I literally just posted a picture on my Instagram page called, uh, it was a picture of this, you know, three pieces of fish. Right. And I, it, my caption was work to eat. I mean, I literally, every time I go for sushi, it's, I promise you I'm spending $200 for myself. I promise. Yeah. And I can go and have a steak for $75, $80 and save myself $120. Right. 
You know, it's like, it's incredible. But you know what? There's something about sushi, and tell me if I'm wrong, or that experience that just makes your whole body and your soul just a little happier and just a little bit more in balance with itself. I think I think there is a, a, a healthy aspect to it, right? You're, you do. You're, you're kind of saying it like you don't really feel full until you've put two hundred dollars in the yeah, machine, and you don't feel full, but you also just feel really like it. It, it pleases the soul, like that yeah. whole experience, like. It's just soulful. I mean, I don't. I don't know why it's not soulful like fried chicken or you know collard greens. Like, yeah, that, that's, you never feel like usually you have to go take a nap right after. Right, right. You just, can you can get back to it. But it, I, you know what? It's it's worth it to me. And but you're right. They they do balk. Yeah. At. Uh, the crew they they bucket the fourteen dollar pastrami sandwich, <laughs> which 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 has like eight ounces of exactly. uh, prime brisket on it. That has taken me 14 days to make. Right. Let alone just, you know, breaking out a whole fish and letting it sit for a day or two and slicing it and putting it on a thing of rice. Um, I also think that it is, though, going back to like the poke, I think it's a perceived also exoticness, if that's a word, yeah. about sushi. Like, oh, I'll spend the money for it, especially early on when sushi was sort of catching. I think it was that. It's like, oh, it's sushi. It's, it's, the fish is somehow different than the tuna that I eat in the can, which it could be, uh, but it also could it, it could be the same sort of thing, right? Uh, so I think it's perception. Okay, uh, America loves these DIY food kit home delivery um, things. You know the blue aprons of the world. Um, what does Todd think about them? Have you? Used Todd them? loves the idea of it. Yeah. T- Todd loves the idea of not shopping and just having things delivered. But Todd really likes going to the market every day ah. and buying nice dinner uh, and just kind of seeing what's there and what I want to eat, to eat that night and, deli- and having it to uh, make when I get home at night. I, that's, to, me, to me, that's very luxurious, to be able to go to a supermarket or a market or a farmer's market uh, that day that you want to eat, cook. Right. So it's not going bad. You're not going to waste too much of it, if, if, anything, if anything at all. You're going to do what you want. It's it's going to be what you're in the mood for at that very moment. Like if you see the fish, it looks these halibut steaks at uh, Whole Foods are just incredible. Right. So I made some beautiful halibut the other night. Like that's the that's the way I like to cook. Yeah. Well, so, that's 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 good for Whole Foods. Too, but it's by the way. great for mom. It's great for a single mom. It's great for my you know my son's mom and who does it you know three times a week. It's great. Yeah, they they're, they are more of a shopping app than anything else. And the, my my problem with them as a business is that it does. Like, because I've 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 cooked with them for some projects here and there, um, they kind of teach the person who's doing it how to cook, and kind of make themselves redundant. After, once you realize, wait a second, they're just sending me a bunch of like portioned out things, and once you've cooked through a couple recipes, and you know, oh, I sweat some shallots, and then I do this. Now I'm learning how to like cook anything in that sort of way. Um, basically, also we're we're only a little bit into this game, and you hate everything. <laughs> is that true? I think you've. I think like America has loves all these things except for poke. Todd loves. G- give, right. give me something yeah. that I'm really gonna love. Um, okay, here we here we go. Um, uh, this one I'm not sure about. Uh, tweezers, Todd, chef. I, I have, kids I, these days love I their have, little tweezers. I have a little. Uh, uni, I have a unibrow sometimes happening, <laughs> so I tweeze about four or five hairs a month. Is that, is that what you're talking about? <laughs> Answer well, 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 no, well noted that you do not like chef's tweezers. No. Uh, do you allow them? If a uh, chef, if a young chef showed up in your kitchen for an interview with tweezers and a tiny offset spat, he's not. It's not going to be a compatible match, right? Let's just say that he's not going. I don't think he'll be very happy cooking at the General Muir. Okay. Uh, if he if he has a if he has a few spoons and a nice hot bain marie with a pair of tongs, uh, you know. That's okay. Yes. And maybe even chopsticks to some degree. Ooh, okay. There you go. Uh, but tweezers, and you know, listen. What about the old cake tester? 
the cake tester is <laughs> you know what the cake tester is the number one tool that no one knows about in my in my opinion i feel like it is right i mean do you do you still use one for for fish at all or is it just sort of that one of, i think it's one of those like show off things no, well, I mean, I used to use it every day right. when I was at Ducat, when I was Poissonnier at Ducasse. Right. Like, I would use it every day. Like, I had five, ten of them in my, in my knife kit. But I think, I think it's really good for people to learn on, like, you know, if they don't know what they're doing and they're uncomfortable and, or they just, you know, if you overcook a piece of fish, they're going to send it back to you at, at the pass. Uh, but for people that want to learn about it, I think it's, I think a cake tester is incredible. Todd yeah. loves the cake tester. He, do, he loves the cake tester. It's not one of our things. And real quick, just to, sell, to make sense of this for some people who might not know what we're talking about. It's using a cake tester to test the doneness of like fish. And you put the cake tester in the middle of the fish. You put it on your lips. The, the, bo- the bottom of the, your lower lip. The bottom of your lower lip. And obviously, if it's super, super hot, the fish in the center is probably overcooked. Yep. And you want it to be warm. It should, feel like, it should feel like you are getting into a jacuzzi. It should feel like something really warm and happy. Oh, there you go. I love that. I love when yeah. chefs also have their little things like mine's with green beans i love to say like green beans should be like blanched till they're squeaky so when you right. bite them they kind of like squeak between your like, on the on your on your teeth right and they're just like, yeah. oh, they're like just per- that perfect sort of moment but like i love how each chef has their sort of little thing uh to describe like when something's right or something's done okay um tv food competition shows yeah todd, yeah. todd loves tv food competition really shows. yeah okay uh i don't want i don't know why i like sounded exasperated when i said yeah really. No, I do. Uh, I don't watch nearly enough of them. And actually, I think the last time I watched Top Chef was some time ago. Uh, I think when there was a few Lantons on there and I was rooting for them. You know, but I was on Guy's Grocery Games. Yeah. And I had a blast. Hard. Hard and Hard fun. show. And, and just a shout out to uh, Guy. I would do it anytime you wanted me to do it again. Nice. Okay. I had Listen. A bl- I had a blast. I know you're a judge on there once in a while. Yeah. I had a blast out there. You know, it was the it was the triple D on triple G. Right. So so you cooked with Guy on triple D. I cooked with Guy on D- Diners, Drivers, and Dives. Which where what what concept? The Jeremy. Okay. And then he had us. He had a bunch of uh, triple D alum. And then we went out and did, and did the show. And it was incredible. Like, you yeah. go out to Sonoma. Oh, that's, and that's yeah. when I ate with Chris Costa, too. Okay. Uh, you know, you go out to Sonoma for a few days. Uh, you know, guys, Guy and his team are great. The, 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 the producers and the people that f- film it are just incredible. And, you know, love what Guy has done for, for cooking as well as for the people that he's promoted uh, on his shows. You know, he's incredible. We talk about him all the time on the podcast. We, we have, we're going to have him on the podcast pretty soon. A lot of, I always get really upset when people, even on my Instagram, like someone just did this, I just put up a picture of a guy and someone was like, you're better than that, bro. Like, like I'm better than taking a picture with Guy Fieri. Like, um, like you don't know how hard this guy works. Yeah. You don't know how hard Rachel Ray works. You don't it, know how hard Alton Brown and, works. You know, the- here's, to me, the secret of Guy is this. He's, I mean, he's brilliant. Like he, he knows what people want to see. Like he's the, he's not just the host. He's like part of the. He's producing. No, he's he is a creator. Absolutely. And and, he, and if you do get to see him work, you're right. He's he's counting himself in. He's like doing a lot of things that um, probably he doesn't get enough credit for. Absolutely. He also happens to just be like a super genuine great guy. Yeah, and um, loves cars. Loves cars. <laughs> loves cars. Ye- yellow cars. Loves yellow cars. Loves fast cars. Loves cars with giant tires. My one um, question for Guy, though, yeah. is can he change his hair or is that part of like he just can't do it anymore? He's, <sighs> he's past that. He's like, that's his image. I feel Food like it's locked. I think there's lore that there like there is actually control like for those type of people who have like a certain look. I actually even think probably in old contracts. Oh, yeah. That it's sort of locked in. I bet. I remember even like I'm not that I'm anywhere near like a Guy Fieri status. But I remember early on like uh, with a manager that I don't have any longer, like letting my hair grow to a certain length and not have wearing it up, which was like very like Richard Blair. 
plays to wear my hair up and like freaked out. Like my manager was like, you can't do that. Like people won't recognize you. Um, so there is like, I think there is, he's probably at this point, he probably just like, it feels like he's locked into it. I don't know. Yeah. I'll ask him. Yeah. But you know, it's good entertainment. It's fun. Uh, my sous chef has gone on to a show. You know, I've known people have done cut through a kitchen. I, I think it's great. I mean, and you know what? The public loves it. Yeah. Well, guys, grocery games too. I mean, again, you participated on it. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the, and I have also cooked on the show. It is a hard show. Cause like, you know, I mean, they're all different. I always say they're all different races. Top chefs and marathon, you know, chopped is like an absolute sprint. And triple G guys, grocery games is a little bit more of like, um, you know, the state, the steeplechase, right? Because you have to run around this market and like you, I mean, it's, it's, there's a physicality to like trying to get to your station in five minutes, which is a key. And they're not, they're not, they're not goofing around. Like you see the five minute clock. It's a five minute clock. Yeah, no, it's real. I mean, we say that all the time and, uh, it's, it's tough. They're all, they all have their different, I I was just speaking to a chef earlier today who was on beat Bobby fly, which is another, have you participated there? Okay. I was invited to do it. Okay. No way I would do that. Really? Another tough show and another sort of like ultimate food celebrity, Bobby fly, who actually like, Oh, he gets up there and like actually does cook twice a day. He's a badass chef. He is a monster. And he he knows like, if you ever do get a chance, like I'm going to probably end up cooking against him at some point just for fun. And it's like, he just knows spice and acidity really, really well. And it's like, that's what, you know, can really just make something stand out a little bit more ne- next to something that's like as maybe cooked as well. And seasoned well, salted, pepper. Right. But, but he's he going to leave you in the dust because he, of that. He knows how to do it. Whatever. I don't care. I always joke. He's got that ancho chili, <laughs> ancho chi- chili honey drizzled, but it, it sets him apart. Well, if, if you need an assistant when you go up against him, let me know. I'd be happy to. Assistant? I'm going to be your assistant, dude. Okay. <laughs> uh, Instagrammable food. The idea that... Um, you know, the food has to be shot a certain beautiful food on, on Instagram and the, I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate photography very much. Okay. I'm actually a board member of Atlanta celebrates photography. Nice shout out. Who's who's doing a gala, an auction on October 6th. Uh, if you have any questions, go on to ACP, uh, dot org. I think it is. Um, if not, it's just Atlanta celebrates photography on Google, but, um, I love photography. Uh, I love food. So it's a natural for me to say Todd loves uh, Instagrammable food. Instagrammable food. And it doesn't have to be beautiful. Right. If it is, even better. And I follow a lot of those accounts. Do you go out of your way to take pictures of your own food no. or in the restaurants? No. I, Not I, at I, all? I should do it more often. Right. Um, the things I like to photograph and put on Instagram are, you know, my, my travels, my son, some of the things I'm cooking that I'm really excited about. Um, but I don't, you know, I would love the idea. I have a nice camera. If I can use that camera and I was at the restaurant, you know, off at General Mirror or at the barbecue restaurant, which I will be, which I'll be doing a lot of photography, uh, and figure out how to get it onto Instagram. Yes. That would be incredible. Okay. So if anyone knows, uh, if anyone wants to give me a lesson on how to do that, oh, let you me can, know. You're going to get hooked up with that, dude, from here. Um, but you're not like, so I said, like, I have like an alert on my phone that's like, it's 545 at night. It's a good time. To take a photo because like that's like sort of magic hour and it's really good to shoot food outside. So um, I get maybe too too into it. I don't put enough of it up because I end up getting frustrated. Like I don't feel like I'm a great photographer, so a lot of it just ends up on my phone. Um, does Todd Atlanta loves and America loves Tyler Perry? What about you, Todd? Uh, I, I don't like Tyler Perry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I've never watched a movie of his. Okay. There you uh, go. I have a restaurant. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
So I like I, how you just like right off the bat, like a lot of them you've been very nuanced with. You're like, yeah, you know, bugs. But Tyler Perry, you're like, no, not not a fan. I, I, for some reason, my 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 head went to like Jamie Oliver and Tyler something or other, who's, oh, okay. a, who's a chef. But you were talking about the actor. Oh yeah, I'm talking and, about yeah the the, the, con, the the movie creator. Yeah. So I I have a restaurant in Crog Street Market. Yes. Um and. There's a big studio right there. Next there to used to be a big studio oh, at Tyler okay. Perry's, and there was like a, there was like a hot tub in the changing rooms, right? That just looks just filthy. Oh, and okay. I, I mean, I just, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't go there without a uh, uh, inhaler or, or a facial mask to be anywhere near that. So no, but Tyler, I'm sure Tyler's a great guy. He's very successful. He does great for Atlanta. He's opened a studio here. Um, just not my cup of tea. Got it. And then the follow up to that is Hollywood in Atlanta. Love it. Okay. Absolutely love it. For, for uh, personal reasons, business-wise? All, all across the board. It's cool seeing uh, actors here. Um, it's cool seeing them on Instagram, giving shout-outs to Atlanta. It's great seeing them in Atlanta restaurants. Uh, it's great for the economy. And it's just great to, you know, it, there is a little bit of a, you know, like the other day I had to go around a few streets because they were doing a, a film shoot. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I... I I love it. It's awesome. Yeah, it brings a lot. And they've, George has really done a good job with that, quite honestly. I, I like, hope they continue to foster it because uh, whatever that relationship is, I think it's working. And you're right. Everyone I run into, you know, that's sort of uh, A-list or whatever, that spends any sort of time here kind of falls in love with it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it is a beautiful place. Um, scooter rentals, they're all over. I saw they're all over Southern California. And today I saw... A, a, a lot of people that maybe shouldn't be on scooters, <laughs> Sco- scootering around. So a month ago, you and I would have had a really long conversation about this because I love what it stands for. I love that um, people can pick them up and cre- generate money, that they, can, they have these you know, opportunities to go and find these scooters and charge them at their homes and then drop them off uh, and they can make money. Right. Um, and that, that's kind of helping the community in that regard. Right. My only problem with scooters now is a, you're right. People who shouldn't be riding scooters are going to get hurt. Yeah. And B it's almost a form of littering to this point. Like they're, they're everywhere. Like they're, you know, and I don't really care about eyesores, Yeah. but like sooner or later, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to get upset because they are eyesores everywhere. Yeah. San Diego has had, um, it was almost like Pokemon go where like, I mean, cause again, the weather is so great. And, you know, our restaurants in a generally sort of touristy sort of area. And I mean, you would see dozens and dozens. I mean, you'd see scooters on the highways, like you're saying, like just kind of littered all over the place. Um, so it's one of those things like, here's this great new, new thing. Everyone's going crazy over it. We got to dial it back or we got to figure out how to make it. I think they're here to stay, by the way. Oh, they're definitely here to stay. Yeah. I, don't th- I don't think they're going to go anywhere. Although I will say this. I, I, I ran a couple miles before I came to visit you because Piedmont Park is one of my favorite parks in the world. I should have just ran here, quite honestly. Um, but... It doesn't count as exercise. I just want to make this clear to people no. that are like, if you go to the park and like you're trying to like an electric scooter is not really the way. It's, it's getting, fun. It's getting fresh air. Yeah, exactly. It's There's getting outside. No exercise at all. I guess there is some sort of calorie burn, and it's better than doing nothing. But if you are at the park, uh, you maybe walk a little bit before you jump on the scooter. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I definitely, <laughs> definitely don't think it's it's about as much it's about as much exercise as my electric bike. <laughs> exactly. Walking Dead. All right, so here's the deal. Love The Walking Dead. I've had a few friends on there. Sure. Chad Coleman, um, great guy. Met him in Atlanta. Love the show. The, my, my two problems with The Walking Dead. One, after I saw The Walking Dead, I literally became a survivalist. Uh, I literally went and got bug out bags. Ooh. Not because of a zombie apocalypse, just because the 
can go wrong. Right. And so the, my other problem is. So are you are you still are, are you still into like are you still a survivalist? Like do I'm we need to so, get you on one of these shows? Like I've got like a bug out bag right there. Okay. Um, like like so you got a bug out door just to paint the picture like I, near, near the front door. You're like yeah, in case like things I, in my now. truck. Yeah. Right. You know I've got yeah. Okay. I, I went and I probably went and sp- <laughs> spent a couple thousand dollars after watching <laughs> The Walking Dead on like. I'm gonna be a knife collector. I'm gonna be a you know I'm a water filter collector. Like <laughs> you're like you're like ready for like Mad Max. Yeah. Like what's gonna be my role in the apocalypse? Exactly. So uh, <clears throat> now I'm just curious about your bug out bag. How many days of uh, how much gear? Like what do you got in the bug out bag? I need to uh, refresh it. Right. But it's 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 a 24 hour one, and then I've got a 36 uh, 72 hour one. Okay. And do you, now <laughs> this is we should have started with this because I'm really curious about this. <laughs> do you have like a sort of like um, you know, a specific like scenario, like oh, it's a a, a digital digital warfare. I, I'm heading to the mountains, or no, no, I need to get no, to the coast. No specific scenario. The, the one that I think is most realistic right now. There's two. One is ice apocalypse again, getting stuck on a highway with nothing. Well, that's like yeah. That's so that's real, real that's life. Real, that's, all of this is real life. Yeah. I people bl- don't. By the way, that's something that people who are outside of Atlanta, they like when they hear that story. Yeah. No one really gets that because you live if you live in a cold place, you're like, oh, they just send out like trucks with salt. Right. We don't have trucks and salt right. here. And if you live in a warm place, you're like, it's just a little snow. Yeah. But like that, you're that talking sh- about happened and it, it was bad. It was horrible. I mean, it was apocalyptic. Yeah. Like it, people were people who should not have been stranded on a highway in 32 degree weather sub 32 sub freezing we're stranded on a highway with no fire no water you know it, it was a bad case scenario so that you know my car breaks down i'm i'm on i'm in the woods you know <laughs> right. that kind of stuff sure the other one is and i think this is probably more realistic than most uh some type of grid failure right some type of some type of a sabotage from a yes, a digital, a, some digital sort of uh, espionage, perhaps or something. Yeah, just where, where they shut down, the, where they shut down the electric grid, and we're right. uh, you know we're left without electricity. Like it's, it, it, that could happen. So, are you, do you have MREs stashed somewhere? I do, I do, <laughs> I do, I do. I, I I use those for camping a little bit too, right. but I definitely have MREs. Do you? I I actually I like MREs. I'm like partial to. Like, I think anything that comes in like an aluminum pouch that's like 2,000 calories is just awesome. So I have some of those, but I'm talking <laughs> about like the the bougie ones. Oh, okay. Like beef stroganoff, just add. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what I'm talking about too. But I'm talking about the ones that are like actual military issue that you right. got to go. That's just based on carbs, not flavor. No, no. They're, they're, but it's like they whatever they add to it, like <clears> it's <throat> like um, you know chicken enchiladas, but for some reason it's 5,000 calories. In case that's like the meal you get for two days. I guess I should open one of those bars. You should, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you should because like right, whatever that cookie is, it's probably like a thousand calorie cookie. Is that um, incredible? It is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially the ones like you know that have their own like heating mechanism and like um. And if you go back and I spend some time, I'm I have also gone through survivalist phases, so I might as well get this on the table. And if like you ever go to like some of these you know uh, Army Navy store, a survivalist store, whatever, and you can start looking at like meal kits from either our past. Like so, like World War II meal kits or like other countries' meal kits. It's yeah. kind of fascinating. It's like, oh yeah, no, they used to run with a a butane burner and two cans of you know spam, ch- spam, right? Yeah. And like now you're you know you don't even need a heating mechanism. You don't need pots and pans. You got a spoon that's also five other things. Maybe that's incredible. It is kind of incredible. I haven't seen the. Uh, I used to cook. Nessie, you reminded me of like my old days, like the pictures we were talking about earlier. I used to do a dish where I would bring a piece of salmon out and just cook it in an MRE tableside. And just be like, for no reason except to just kind of be an artistic ass. 
Yes, but to, <laughs> but to just be like, here it is. Here's a pouch. I pour water into it. Look, molecular gastronomy. Like that's amazing. It's like, well, it's like pretty much was every awesome? soldier is. It was awesome. Like yeah. it was fun to do it. It was hard. It's hard to like calibrate. You know, you can't end up overcooking. Like when you when you put you know fresh food in those things, it's kind of hard. But like it's something I've definitely wanted to get back to. Um, it was also also the type of thing that I would always pack with me on Top Chef. Well, after the power grid failure happens, Richard, if I overcook my <laughs> salmon, no one better give me. Sh- yeah, no, I'm going to blame, I'll blame, I'm going to blame you for the, if the grid failure actually happens. But that was also like, not to get to Atlanta, but there was also a lot of humanity that happened. I remember from that moment where like the last moment where like the city shut down. I just remember that, wasn't it a ridiculous story of like Chipper Jones jumped on like a snowmobile and like was saving people off of 85? I actually vaguely remember that. Yeah. And like, you know, Target was like, yeah, we're open to like house people for the night and strangers were staying in people's houses. Um, that side of the story didn't get enough coverage nationally. And no, then, it, was, it was, I mean, I remember seeing Jon Stewart absolutely just rip us apart uh, about a uh, apocalypse. But, you know, in, in my mind, if I think about two inches of snow at four o'clock in the day, I don't think it's not that big of a deal or two o'clock in the day. But, you know, if the whole city lets out at 2 o'clock and then everybody's on the road and it's bumper to bumper, no one's moving, and the ice keeps, fall- ice keeps forming and the snow keeps falling, that's, you're going to have a problem. Nice. Speaking of outside the perimeter, the last question perhaps here for uh, – but what about, what about Todd? Um, outside the perimeter, which is a term. What, how does Todd feel? Um, out the, the, out of, of just the idea of OTP and, and like how Atlanta is growing so much right now. And uh, I remember that was always like a big thing. Like ITP or OTP, where do you live? Yeah, um, I wish more Democrats lived outside OTP. Okay, honestly. there you go. There, okay. uh, <laughs> because uh, 15 miles outside of Atlanta, pretty much in any direction, uh, keeps the state red. Okay, there you go. Uh, You're getting political, that's fine. That's, like, I, yeah, like, you, that's, yeah I, that's, that's the tough pill to swallow. However... Um, I like outside the perimeter. I, you know, we've had the opportunity to open businesses outside the perimeter. Right. Um, we haven't done it as of this point. We are entertaining the idea of something maybe uh, in Sandy Springs, which is which is like not really outside the perimeter. It's probably like 500 feet outside the perimeter. Right. But you know, I drop my son uh, and his mom. My son's mom lives up by Lake Lanier. Okay. So we meet at exit nine on 400 a few times a week, and when I'm up there. It's great. Like, I'll go to Avalon. I'll go to restaurants I haven't been to in a while. Sure. But, I, you know, I live and spend a premium to live in Atlanta for a reason because I really like the inside city living. You know, it's got great restaurants. It's got great parks. It's got great people. Yeah. Plus, I think if you live OTP, you can't have – I'm looking at your actual, like, old school record player. Like, you can't play vinyl OTP, I feel like. I feel like if you're a vinyl guy, it's got – you got to be ITP. Everything's MP3. I think so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Everything's CDs. Um, all right. Last question we uh, do on the podcast is called 86. It's 86. What does Todd Ginsburg want to 86 in the world? It can be whatever you'd like. Oh, it could be serious or not. You know, that's a, I'm going to have to go uh, political. On that's this fine. I, I, I mean, in, in all fairness, the two most popular answers have been Caesar salad and Trump. Yeah. I'm not, Caesar salad's not going anywhere in <laughs> See, my book. Okay. That's very kidding me I, i'm not I'm, I'm i'm in your camp on this one who who told you yeah, i have salad. to go back through the archives but it's not an i want to hear one person's it, name that said that they're in trouble I'm, I'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna follow them anymore it's Instagram. not an unpopular answer i'll go back through the archives and oh uh, I'll, I'll send you a that a, might be a, the best salad I'll, ever created i'll sell, send you a, a a blacklist of people not to follow on instagram who have said that yeah my, uh, like my son probably would not eat salad if he, it wasn't for caesar salad all right so some nuance with the answer you want an 86 uh I want an 86th 
the fragment of what that is the United States. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We're too much of a, we're too much of a divide right now. Yes. Um, and you know, obviously that's obviously everything, obviously a lot of that starts from the top and what's happening there. But I just think America needs to kind of become more unified and less divided that I'd like 86. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, I don't get too political on the, on the show, but like there is this, this, you know, everyone's pushed into a corner there are these bubbles and like for me traveling the country is really great because it's, it's really important like for me to just be able to see like even just spending here I've spent 24 hours in Atlanta um, it's, 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 it's different right like I mean it's different than uh, San Diego or Milwaukee or New York City uh, and sometimes like we could all do a better job of listening right I think is one of the things that we could do but that's just my, my sort of stance 100%. on it it's, and you know what the Democrats aren't always right. The Republicans aren't always wrong. Right. And vice versa. But we need to get back together. We need to find... We're, we're losing our foundation of what the United States is based on uh, slowly deteriorating. Yeah. And it's really scary. Like, the United States of five years ago doesn't always have to be the United States. Like, it could be something else in 100 years if we're not careful. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Dude, thank you so much for hanging yeah. out with us. Uh, we'll do it again next time I'm in Atlanta or if you find yourself in Southern California. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We'll, we'll hang out. Um, we'll play another game. You dominated that one. You pretty much don't like a lot of things, but that's okay. <laughs> that's what we thought. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the Jewish in me. There, there you go. Oh, we never got into uh, Israeli food was one of those questions. Oh. Love it. I've been. Israel. I just got back from Israel. Was, oh, okay. Yeah, incredible. I need to don't go. Get, don't, that's a whole other uh, episode. That's a whole other episode. Um, and I saw you just did Michael Solomonov. I was super stoked to see that one. Yeah, we've done Solomonov alone, Shia. So uh, it's a topic that comes up a lot, um, and it's a cuisine that's just delicious, right? It's one of those simple, healthy and delicious, and like easy it, to love. And if that doesn't be- become more of an eruption over the next few years, America is being. Uh, <laughs> let down there you go i'm gonna go for eastern european food i was talking this morning to another chef and it's like i'm gonna like i feel like no one is represented like really eastern european food uh and like i just I, i'm a stuffed cabbage sort of guy and uh <laughs> like ashkenazi jewish style maybe i mean like you know just like that sort of like uh i mean again like rustic stuff yeah rustic stuff and i guess, giant that's, all, I guess that's all ham, is, i guess that's all knuckles and yeah. like brothy soups so you're talking about more german lots of dill and yeah you know stretched around a couple of countries i haven't sort of narrowed it down but what's the name of that what's the name of that big gross at ham hock do you remember oh man i don't name it oh, i don't God, remember the so name delicious. of it uh if you remember the name of that giant sort of uh ham knuckle uh dish send us a shout out hey everyone thank you so much for listening do us a favor head on over to iTunes uh, subscribe it's really easy it's free which makes it like really easy to do just hit subscribe it helps us out it you know it's this whole algorithm and all of that hope you love the episode uh, if you did also write us a review if you didn't like the episode don't write a review about this episode uh, we'll see you again next week and until then stay hungry thanks for listening to starving for attention with Richard Blaze download new episodes every Tuesday on the podcast one app Apple podcasts or podcast one.com Hey, everyone. Listen, thanks for listening. You make this all possible. And thank you so much to our sponsors today, San Pellegrino. You've been with us from Jump to find S. Pellegrino in your area. Visit SanPellegrino.com and TrueCar. Visit TrueCar for a better car buying experience.